This business is a contact sport, and when I see the ivory towers, I call it like you can't sit around and refresh Salesforce all day to see if deals come in. Like you need to go roll up your sleeves and get in the trenches and, and find out where you can fix problems and, and add value. And if you can do that, your team will run hard for you. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Sheena Badani. And I'm Devin Reed, coming to you from the Gong Studios. When was the last time you got in the trenches with your team? You started where they are now. You know the grind all too well. You know how hard it can get. But when was the last time you got down at eye level with them, personally and professionally? Andrew Metz is a huge proponent of getting in the trenches with your sales team, especially when you're the boss. Andrew is a VP of sales at Zywave, which is a digital insurance agency platform. On this episode, we talk about how you can get in the trenches with your sales team by getting out of your comfort zone, being candid with your teams, and setting an example with your own actions. Here's advice from Andrew on building relationships that will last. Andrew, what's your philosophy um, in regards to your career and how do you think it can help other sales leaders thrive? I've always kind of built my reputation on street credibility because I started as a BDR and made cold calls. And I think of my career as foundational in the sense that I made cold calls for a year and a half. Then I took those meetings and I carried a bag. Then I had a quota. Then I was a frontline manager and then I managed managers. And now I'm a second line manager and I manage VPs. But because I had two or three years at, at each one of those stops, I feel very confident that I could go down to my direct reports or their direct reports or their direct reports and show them how to do the job. And I think what we forget about is at times is just the the buy-in from the team, that a, a competency level that you can add value to their universe. And, and if you can do that, then you're going to be valuable to your team. I'm sure that really helps in just building trust and building relatability with folks across the entire organization. Absolutely. I mean, a big part of my job now is recruiting. It's like I'm running for mayor or something. I'm out coffee, breakfast, lunch. I definitely use LinkedIn as a profile to try to crack into new relationships. And, and I'm looking for people that are also are happy in their position. And I think building trust is, is a huge part of that, especially if someone's going to make a career move. It's like they can look at my story and they might say, wow, it's fantastic. And I'll say, I'll, I'll point you to 10 other people that have moved through the ranks as well. My story is not that unique at my organization, but it's great to, as a salesperson, I'm all about storytelling, the functions and the features of a product that, you know, anyone could show off, but who's going to weave the narrative that takes someone to an emotional state of why they're going to make change, right? It's change management is someone buying software and change management is someone's changing their career too. You talked about spending so much of your time building relationships now, and that's one of the most important aspects of your job. Tell us a little bit more about that. So if you had to peel back the onion, what are the key components of building these powerful relationships? I think of it in a few ways. There's a trust component that comes over time. There's a, an empathy component of me understanding where they're coming from. And that's easy because I've moved through the ranks. There's a vulnerability component. You know, I told a story recently. We, we had a leadership academy last week, which is awesome. And I got to present a little bit. And I told the story about when I left the organization and I had a brand new manager and I thought, and how am I going to make friends with her? And she was kind of like arms folded, not sure about me. 
who's this guy with long hair? And she worked with someone for 12 years prior that now I was replacing. So I understood the emotional, but she was a yogi and I don't do yoga, but I was like, Hey, when I'm coming to town, when I'm coming to Duluth, Minnesota, we're going to do yoga. And she invited me to her yoga class as an instructor. And I showed up, let's do it. And I walked in the door and it was an all women's retreat. And I was like, here we go. Uh, no, no turning back now. And I think, you know, the reason I tell that story is I, I put myself in a vulnerable spot, right? I was uncomfortable. It was not, it was not easy, but I go through it and and then relationships change in those moments. An hour later, we were in a different place relationship wise than we were prior to that. And I think there's pockets and opportunities like that all the time. I also think we were on our, our presence club trip in Jamaica three weeks ago and for some people, that's a party. And for me, I, I'm wired a little different, but it was, um, I don't want to say work sounds bad, but it was, um, it was an opportunity for me to sincerely look spouses, significant others, guests in the eyes and tell them what their husband, wife or boyfriend, girlfriend mean to the organization and how much I appreciate them. And it wasn't phony. I mean, it's, it's real because I know what the opportunity cost is to do a job for 50, 60 hours a week. I have, I have three kids and a family myself. And so I think when you get those opportunities, people shy away from those. Maybe it makes them feel uncomfortable, but I've found that that's really what what moves the needle is if people genuinely feel like you care about them, and and they can they can sense when it's phony and and fake. And um, I'm all about like what you see is what you get, and um, being transparent. I love that man, and I can see I see a pattern between the uh, the yoga class to that last conversation you were sharing because putting yourself out there, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, you know what I mean? And I think, you know, having, having again, been in sales, like a lot of sales leaders, I think, you know, don't want to be seen as vulnerable. They want to see, you know, sometimes like I have to have all the answers or I have to be that guy, that gal to, you know, to be the know-all. And I can only imagine, you know, if my, I'm, I'm recently getting into yoga. So like, I would, I hope to God, no one on my team asked me to go with them because I'll embarrass myself. But at the same time, I would definitely want to go for the aforementioned reasons that you shared, right? It's like, wow, if you're willing to go make time, put yourself out there in a yoga class and you're the only guy, imagine what that shows like when it comes to work, what he's willing to do and, and the lengths you're willing to go. And like you said, that builds a trust that will go beyond just the current role, but probably afterwards too, you know, kind of like that, that lifelong bond and, and a trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think finding those opportunities, you need to seek them out a little bit because you're not naturally going to go there. But there's a confidence level, too, of being vulnerable and saying, I was doing literally this week with our entry-level SMB um, AEs, I was doing cold call objection handling. And, you know, there's three layers of management between us or or whatever. And at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, I'll fail. I'll, get, I'll take a shot. And A, it shows them I'm willing to put myself out there. They should feel comfortable. And, and B, not to say I'm, I'm great, but I've done it a lot. But I also want to showcase... Not on an ego standpoint, but um, hey, I, this guy's got some chops, and he actually can he can help me be a better cold caller, right? So it kind of accomplishes two things. But this business is a contact sport, and when I see the ivory towers, I call it like you can't sit around and refresh Salesforce all day to see if deals come in. Like you need to go roll up your sleeves and get in the trenches and and find out where you can fix problems and and add value. And if you can do that, your team will run hard for you. So I really liked that part where you had mentioned you you left your current company because you felt like you had plateaued. So I respect, you know, uh, following your own advice there. I'm curious, as a leader, how do you enable your sales professionals to continue to challenge themselves? I understand what their goals and aspirations are outside of just, you know, everyone wants to hit goal and make the presence club trip. But I have a, a VP that reports to me 
who has a desire to publicly speak. And I think she has an incredible story. And a couple things I've done for her is uh, I introduced her to the president of TEDx at UW-Milwaukee here in the area, which was a connection I had. In addition, I'm carving out time with her where we're talking about LinkedIn content and LinkedIn strategy, um, which is something I've done a fair amount of over the years. So I'm trying to find opportunities to both be an accountability coach outside of work things, but also if I can open some doors or make some connections or share some value, I know my relationship with that individual is going to grow if if she achieves her dreams and I can help in some way, shape or form. But I really encourage people to have balance, whether it be other hobbies and things that they're, you know, I, this whole work, hustle, grind, Wolf of Wall Street stuff. I get it. It's it's romantic and cool in some ways. But the truth is, I know I'm a lot better leader when I get to run five miles at lunch like I did today. And I blocked out my calendar. Three people were like, Mets, I need you. And I'm like, sorry, I can't. I've committed this time to myself and you get a better form of me. I've also talked pretty candidly through LinkedIn about my own journeys of fitness. I was about 30 pounds heavier four years ago. I ran a full marathon 18 months ago. Uh, I quit drinking alcohol two and a half years ago, which is somewhat controversial in the sales space. And I've talked openly about how I've challenged myself and things I've done outside of my own comfort zone. And I think it creates a very welcoming environment for people I always want to be approachable and I want people to be able to come up to me and go, Hey, I just want to run something by you. Here's something I'm thinking. And it's easy to support people, challenge them tactfully, give them things to think about. But that's where the relationship goes well beyond selling usernames and passwords. I have so many people that have left the organization that I still have great relationships with. That I still do coffee and lunch. And I think once our time together is is past um, when you sell things, I get paid. And three years after that, we're still friends. That means something to me. It means there's something genuine there beyond just you're my boss. So I'm telling you what, what you want to hear kind of a thing. I just love how much humanness is like oozing from this conversation. And I saw your LinkedIn profile prior to our conversation and, and you write a lot about your kids and your family and it's real, like you're the real deal. And the way that you engage in that way with the folks on your team and your colleagues um, is so impressive. I think a lot of folks can really learn from that. Speaking of like living a balanced life, like that's something that you were just speaking about and carving that time out for yourself. How do you make sure that folks on your team are also living a balanced life? I encourage them to take time, take personal days, carve out time to to work out. I try to lead by example too. I mean, Presence Club's a good example of there's wild times. We're at an all-inclusive resort. I mentioned I don't drink alcohol, so that's that's a part of it. But I also think how do you carry yourself? And a lot of people, a lot of spouses were like, wow, you run every day. And I'm like, this is who I am. Like, I'm not telling the world through social media, I'm something and then I'm not with the kids thing too. I think that's part of it as well is just being true and honest to who you are. And I think that's a form of confidence. So encouraging people to pursue other things outside of just this, because I think it will make them better at this. And I'm also very aware and concerned of burnout. All three of my direct reports I've worked with for nine years plus, which is really unique, right? One of them I hired nine years ago, the woman I was talking about that I made the TEDx introduction, I hired her as an SMB rep. She's a vice president right now and she reports to me and that relationship is 
so sacred to me, but she knows I have her best intent and I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. And I think she has respect for me and that's what, that's what makes it work. But showing time after time that you have people's best interests at heart will build trust with them. It's telling that Andrew has created such long lasting relationships with his direct reports. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, employees between the age of 25 and 34 stay at a company for an average of two and a half years. Today's employees might stick around out of necessity, but they're always looking for something better. And when they find it, they typically leave quickly. That's why it's so important to create a work environment employees love. If you can make them happy, they'll stick around for years. Andrew has clearly cracked a code in making his employees not only stick around, but love their jobs. Here's more on how Andrew focuses on making his employees happy. My hunch is like some people might be hearing your story and being inspired, but like, where do I start with that? So I'm curious for you, how did it begin? Was it like the first time you blocked? Maybe it was a three mile run. I don't know if you jumped right to five. No, it was like a quarter mile run. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what did it, how did it start for you? And then, you know, maybe you kind of like graduate to like, you know, now you're head of sales at a large company running five miles for an hour with no guilt. But I would also say with absolute confidence, like this is part of my operating system and you should do the same. Can you help me understand that a little bit more? I've changed a lot in the last five years. I, the real story on the running was Zywave had a 5K and I thought of myself as a good athlete. I was I, I want to go Uncle Rico here and talk about some highlights, but I was, you would laugh if you meet me. I'm a small man in stature, but I, I had a good athletic career in high school and I thought of myself as an athlete until we did the corporate 5K and I was like on the back half of it with a side ache walking. And I'm like, man, what happened? And to me, it was just a rock bottom moment to go, oh man, I've turned into the fat softball dad that drinks beer every night in the Midwest. It was like, literally, I was like living an absolute parody of myself. And I think that was the moment where I was actually really pissed off that I thought, this is how far I've gone. And that next day I started running. Salespeople were competitive and you want to be fit. But to me, being fit was really, you know, I had two children at the time and you want to be active and doing things. And and to me, I'm big, I'm big, like lead by example, both as a father, as a sales leader, as a husband, as a person in the community, as someone that uh, wants to be generous and show others what it means to be generous with your time, your talents, your your money, whatever. And so for me, it was very gradual and slow, but I, I'm a pretty committed person once I determine something. I've been with my wife. We're, we're high school sweethearts. We've been together. We'll be married 15 years, but we've been together 25 years. And uh, I've been in my same organization. Obviously, I took a, a hiatus, as I like to say, or sabbatical, but for going on 14 years. And to me, it's 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 knowing what, why you're doing what you're doing. And I, I could think back to that moment, that emotional moment of walking over the finish line at the 5k going, what have we become here? Like, is this what the future is? And that's still a driving force. Just like my gratitude is I still imagine myself walking into Zywave as a BDR, just bright eyed, ready to conquer the world, but having no status, no one caring what my title was or who I was or where my cubicle was at the time and all that stuff. And it's easy to, for me to mentally get into those states And that's more powerful than listening to a song or a a motivational speak. To me, it's like the more visceral it is, the more real it is to me, the the bigger motivator it's going to be for me. So we've talked a lot about your unique philosophies around gratitude and challenging yourself and, and others. 
What do most sales execs get wrong about leading their teams? Self-awareness, assuming you have buy-in because you have a title. And I realize I'm in a unique spot that I'll get side by side with someone and go, let's let's talk about a cold call. Let's run a demo. Let's talk through a deal. That's a huge benefit I have. And I, I definitely take advantage of that. But if people are saying something or smirking after you leave the room, you don't have their buy-in. Something I do often, I, I launched a sales leadership academy at Zywave last week. And one of the things I did, there was 30 sales leaders we invited and I presented. We had another VP present and a guest speaker present. And I sent out a survey afterwards. Like, I want to know if people think it's corny. I want to know if people think it sucks. And we got great feedback, which was good. But to me, I'm always trying to keep myself honest, not being like, great job, you killed it. I want to go, okay, well, how can we be better? And so I think where it gets wrong sometimes is people kind of go, Make a hundred phone calls and set these means and do this and do that. And it's like if you if they don't if they don't respect you, they're not gonna run hard. They're not willing to listen or comply. And they're gonna go find a new job, especially in this marketplace, right? So to me it's it's showing trust, it's showing respect, it's leading with empathy. And once we do all that, now people are gonna work hard. I told I told my boss, my the CRO who I report to recently, I'm like I got really good people. And as long as they're happy and in a good spot, we're all going to look, I'm going to look really smart. You're going to think I'm doing a great job. But at some point when you have a big enough team, someone else is doing the heavy lifting. So it's that kind of servant leadership where I'm always like, you're my customers, right? I just said, I ran a leadership meeting with my sales team earlier today. And I said, this is my VPs and my frontline managers. I said, your problems are my problems. And if they feel like I'm I'm in the trenches with them and I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and I'm not too ivory tower, then then you're going to get buy-in. I would love to hear, Andrew, if you're open to sharing it, what some of the feedback was that you got from that survey. And it could be positive or constructive. The feedback we got was they want tangible, concrete things. So we're giving real examples. There was a section on, on balance and work and life happen. I did a section on uh, building trust which is kind of similar to what we're talking about. And then uh, Connie, my, my VP that I, that I mentioned a few times, she did a section on radical candor and they love the radical candor because what do sales leaders have to do all day? You need to have hard conversations, right? And she was going through specific examples and how to do those. And I think the biggest thing is trying to connect with a problem I have today and how can I solve it? And if someone had a talk track or framed up something differently after that workshop, then then we've been successful. I launched this Leadership Academy to have a closed door with leaders, not so we could gossip about people, but really so we could have raw and honest conversations. We talked about the trust tree and I had a slide that said, where is the trust tree? And everyone's like, what do you mean? Where's the trust tree? And I said, it's where shit gets real. Okay, we're going to get into it here. And we had really honest conversations and it was different teams that usually don't interact talking about different scenarios they've been in. And it's one of those things where it's not, it's important, but not urgent. And we're always go, 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 go. I was on the forecast call at eight in the morning this morning with my CRO and the CEO. And they're like, what are we going to be at by Friday at 9 p.m.? We forecast every five days and it's very intense. And what deals came in today and where are the meetings at? And and we're like any other sales organization, but it was cool to take two days offline just to go, all right, let's talk about some of these things. And, you know, the feedback was positive. We got to do it in person too, which people loved. I'm wondering how you positioned this leadership academy to your CRO and CEO to basically say, hey, I'm going to take all of the sales leaders off of the floor for two full days and we're not going to do sales. 
the way that you're expecting it to be done. So I'm curious how you kind of position that to say, hey, this is like you said, I'm taking care of myself on my run to give you my best work. Is it kind of the same thing? I'm taking two days off with the team to make them better when they return. I'm a sales guy, so I'm always thinking about, you know, what's in it for them? Where's the ROI? And, it, you know, it is hard. It is hard to justify. Not only was there cost of we flew in about 20 of the 30 people flew in from around the country. So there's travel time, travel costs, hotels, all that stuff. And my CRO was a thousand percent in line. In fact, I mean, him and I have been talking about this as a part of me coming back was, Mets, you're going to own this. Give me your thing. And I love it. And it shows his commitment to the long term relationship building and and coaching. But my biggest play and the biggest value we have is we've done open interviews for frontline manager positions and sales reps go and interview. And sometimes they get the position, sometimes they don't. And when they don't, we go, sorry, you're not there yet. You don't have the skill set. And then their natural question is, well, who's going to develop me? Where's the skill set? So I actually had 25 live managers, sales managers as a part of it. And then I invited six others that are top producers, but they're aspiring leaders. And it gives them some insight as to what it's about. It allows me to evaluate them a little bit and see them in interacting and we're coaching them. And to me, the bigger picture is I tell all my sales leaders, I want to give you skill sets that go beyond this organization. I want you to learn something today that you're going to think about 20 years from now when you're the CRO at some other software company, because it's fulfilling for me to feel that way. But if we come with that mentality, People want to stick around and see what else, what other development can I get here, right? Like our sales enablement boot camp, we have a, a eight week boot camp. I tell candidates it's a it's an eight week sales MBA course. Like buckle up your chin strap, okay? We're gonna mock demo, we're gonna grade you. Ninety percent of the people pass, but not everyone does, right? Like this is serious, but you're gonna learn skills that are transferable outside of this organization, and I think. When you come with it from that angle, it's an attractive place to be in because you're being poured into, right? You're being invested into. And the proof is in the results. You have folks on your team who have been with you for almost 10 years, right? So even though you know, you're giving them those skills that can be applied anywhere, it's actually driving retention and developing their skills to continue to progress in the org. So that's amazing. Andrew, this has been fantastic. Uh, if I was in person, I would, uh, I'd find a way to keep you for another hour and, and keep hanging out and learning from you. But all good things must come to an end. And we like to end these interviews in the same fashion, which is by asking all of our fantastic guests this question. How would you describe sales in one word? Fun. If you're not having fun, you're not doing something right. It's hard work. It's a grind. But I view work, it should be fun. There's a huge opportunity cost to me doing something for 60 hours a week and uh, life moves fast and time flies by and all those cliches is true. And if you're, if you're in a career that you don't enjoy, quit. If you want to continue growing your sales leadership skills, head over to gong.io for more resources. If you like what you heard, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 